Well, hey, this is Robin. That's Micaiah. And you are listening to a bonus episode of You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Desert Island Albums. Micaiah, before we go into our lists of Desert Island albums, let's talk about what we mean when we say Desert Island albums. What is what is the intended idea when you're talking about a Desert Island selection? Yeah, we might be going kind of against the grain on what people think of because what well, we started realizing we were talking, it's like, well, what if we did it like last man on earth style? Like you were the last man on earth and you only had five albums. Is that different than, you know, just um, top five desert Island? Well, why don't we just do top five favorite albums? Or is, is there a difference between these lists? And there kind of were. And what, what it came down to is like, oh, well, if you're on a desert Island, you're going to want to listen to a particular style or genre of music. And that kind of keeps you in a particular kind of box. If you're a last man on earth, then maybe you're only bound to, for us, maybe the United States. Um, You know, it's like, well, then you're just doing top five, maybe just road trip music, which is maybe just a different kind of list. So what we kind of settle on is like top five desert island, just basically top five albums you can't live without. You only have five albums, right? What are they going to be, you know? So I think that's, that, that's kind of our methodology here and the, the way we're going to play this game. And what would be some of the rules that we would apply for our Desert Island list? Only one album per artist. Some but additional rules. Some right? additional rules. Um, no big grand sweeping box sets. Okay, so if you're going to choose James Brown, right? You can't just do like, oh, well, why wouldn't I just choose like the Star Time box set. They had, or like, why wouldn't I just choose, you know, the complete Beatles or the complete Chuck Berry or so no like completest box sets, you know, that's that's cheating, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to stick to compilations around the table. Okay. Live albums are on the table. Um, but this kind of like, oh well, why wouldn't you know, I'll just choose the um Bob Dylan motto 1962 to 1966 or whatever box that that was. You know, it's just like, that's clearly right. Not how we're going to play this game. So we do have some rules because of course it wouldn't be Makai and I making a list if we didn't apply some rules to that. Other than these handful, small handful of rules, there's a lot of freedom to kind of just pick what's important to you. And what we realized is because our podcast endeavors to ask the question, what are the hundred greatest albums of all time? We began to realize that for both of us, we may not have an opportunity in the nature of this podcast or in the course of this podcast to share what our five favorite albums are. So today's episode, Desert Island Albums, is really an opportunity for Makai and I to talk about the albums that are meaningful to us and important to us. Now, these may be albums that we have covered on the, on the podcast. These may be albums that we will cover at some point on the podcast. But this is an opportunity for Makai and I to share, here's what our Desert Island albums are. And we're also going to share the hardest album it was to leave off this list. 
So you're going to hear from each of us five albums in one that we are leaving off and in, in why that was the hardest one to leave off. Over the course of these conversations, we'll also be talking about our favorite song featured on each of these albums. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to let you hear from today's sponsor, Anchor, and we're going to come back with our lists of Desert Island albums. Kaya, my first, my number one, my favorite album of all time, my easy first pick as we're doing Desert Island albums is The Joshua Tree by U2. Released in 1987, this is the album that really put them on the map. It won Album of the Year that year for the Grammys. And really, Joshua Tree was the album that allowed U2 to kind of take over the world as as rock superstars what i love about this album is it you know the combination of the delay and the reverb that the edge uses on his guitar the earnestness of the vocals and of the lyrics uh this is an album that means it i mean this this is an album that that is dripping with sincerity in a way that I just dig and the music is so, so good. And you consider that this is an album that I've listened to hundreds, if not thousands of times in my lifetime. And I don't know that I've ever gotten tired of it. I don't know that I've ever gotten sick of this album. And in 2017, uh, YouTube began a 30 year anniversary Joshua Tree tour where they performed the entire album start to finish and watching this band who's one of the best live acts I've ever seen perform this album start to finish in 2017 this music was as present as as relevant as meaningful in 2017 as it was in 1987 so for me, first pick is easy, Joshua Tree by U2. This is not surprising. I mean, I figured that's where this was going. And I feel it's one of the things that makes me feel guilty about doing this podcast with you because I do not share your affinity for U2. And I don't even know that I consider Joshua Tree a top 100 all-time great album. So it, it's, uh, it makes me, makes me feel, very, feel very guilty. We're putting this list together and it must be very hard for you to say, Hey, this is a, like a top 10 greatest. And I don't know if it's a top 100. So not being able to discuss it on the pod, cause we're putting together season two and I have not nominated it um, as one to be considered for season two. So I, you know, I eventually I think I'll have to, I mean, it would not be our list, you and I together, if I didn't give you the chance to to put this on our list further down the road. But for me, U2 is not a band that does it for me. And 
you know this. I listened to their entire discography recently. Uh, the whole the whole thing, and on the other end, I thought Actung Baby might be the the better album, technically, but Unforgettable Fire is probably my favorite from you two. Neither of those even what I consider, I don't think nominating, but I, I see the appeal. I get it, especially with Josh, which I mean, those first three songs are probably the best three songs to start an album. There's nowhere to go from there. When you do three like perfect pop songs, I think it's hard to, to continue your album for like another 40 minutes when you've just delivered so hard and so strong. Um, but now that I've mentioned that, Rob, what is your favorite song from Joshua yeah. Tree? Yeah, so I'm I'm with you, and I think this is where it's hard. So, admittedly, side A of of Joshua Tree is perfect. I mean, every single song on side A of Joshua Tree was released as a single. Um, the the opening three tracks, I mean, Streets Have No Name, may be one of the most anthemic songs that's ever been written. Um, what a phenomenal way to start an album and you go from that into I still haven't found what I'm looking for into uh, with or without you you have these giant like stadium hits that open up this album and then you have I mean probably the best blues number of, of any song that The Edge will ever write Bullet the Blue Sky um, on this as well but the song that has grown on me, especially over the last 15 years, Running to Stand Still on Side B is my favorite track on on the second side of this album. And I, and I think it's kind of an, an underappreciated gem on this album. And everything within me wants to go Running to Stand Still. But I think it's just impossible to pick Joshua Tree and not stick with the anthemic, the unbelievable, huge rock song that is Streets Have No Name. Touch the flame Where the 
Well, if if my first pick being U2's Joshua Tree was not surprising, my expectation is that your first pick will not be a surprise either. So, Mikhail, <laughs> let's hear your number one. You know, and because of that, I almost wanted to not choose it. I was like, this is too obvious. It's so, and it's like, it is my number one personal favorite album. So, and I know that we are going to cover it at some point. So, but I, but I, I, I put it on and I listened to it three times in a row. And I was like, okay, I can't, I can't fight who I am. I can't deny this. So my, my number one's pet sounds by the beach boys from 1966. And like you, um, I saw, brian wilson um for like the 50th anniversary tour of pet sounds where they play the album from start to finish it was brian wilson with al jardine and blondie chaplin because mike love is out there doing his own thing just being a ridiculous man uh but it was great i i took my mom it was around her birthday and we had a a really great time and it was at the saint augustine amphitheater in florida which is pretty close to the beach and i think they were just coming back from europe or somewhere so they were very visibly excited to be in a beach town again uh so that was that was it was just it was just a really good time um yeah pet sounds is well i mean there, there are a handful of tracks that you just kind of know um just because you're a living breathing person you just you just catch wind of a number of these songs but it wasn't until college where I like really kind of like, cause the beach boys are kind of corny. You know, you really, especially like my, my dad grew up, my dad was born in 1949 and, and grew up in the panhandle of Florida. So his image of the beach boys, which got passed down to me was surfing USA, fun, fun, fun. You know, I get around, you know, so it was kind of that, surf rock but mostly wannabe surf rock um kind of sound but then when i was in college i kind of like listened to it for myself instead of just like hearing it in the car or hearing it from a baby boomer be like oh wow that's really interesting wouldn't it wouldn't wouldn't it be nice it's actually a really interesting intricate song Mm -hmm. and i was like i i guess i gotta listen to pet sounds and just like track like just like mind-blowing jaw-dropping like pretty much with every single track i was like this is undeniable mm-hmm. and so yeah so it's just it's always been i've always just said you know yep yeah, that that's my number one and it's uh, it's great so when you and i first started this podcast one of the things we talked about is that pet sounds was not on my original list and that absolutely reflects what I thought about it and believed about it at the time. But because it's an album that you love so much, I found myself going back to it and going, all right, let me, let me really dive in here. Now, of course, I grew up a music fan. We had, we had uh, Beach Boys records in my house growing up. So I was very familiar with the um, somewhat cheesy surf rock the very beach theme kind of fun beach boys that you get. And it is, it's great pop music. It's fun pop music, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that I ever really took it that seriously. And pet sounds is different. Pet sounds is a very, very different album. And 
in pet sounds you do you have a commitment and an attention to uh production to orchestration to arranging that that is so far ahead of its time so i'm with you on uh i'm with you on pet sounds pet sounds is not going to be in in my top five uh desert island albums but i totally understand it and uh, can totally appreciate this album and uh you i mean you get these great tracks i think i think the bookends of side a wouldn't it be nice and sloop john b are are phenomenal you get uh, uh put your head on my shoulder um let's go away for a while but then the opening of side b god only knows what an all-time great song and then caroline no caroline no is a song that has grown on me more than any other Beach Boys song in the last five years. So a, a great album. I, I understand. I understand this pick. So Micaiah, for you, what's your favorite song on this great album? There are a lot. Um, I mean, my way in, I guess, was always, wouldn't it be nice? So, and I, and I love a good album opener. I think that's one of the best. And I think God only knows is the probably the greatest single masterpiece of a song on the album. Um, but, and like you, Caroline, no, for me has been one of my, is the thing I look forward to the most when I listen to the album is getting to that point. Mm-hmm. One song that every time I listen to, I think, I think is really special and really interesting. And I've, I've never heard anybody just talk about it and point to is like, this is a great beach boy song. This is a masterpiece. This is great. The song "That's Not Me," mm-hmm. um, I think, is is absolute pop perfection, and um, it needs more attention. So, sticking with our rule, then that you can't have a box set, I'm going to hold you to this. In Pet Sounds, are you taking the mono or the stereo versions? This is controversial because the mono mix is what's known to the Beach Boys fans as Brian's mix, but I like the stereo version better. Okay. Um, there's there's an openness to it, and I don't know how else to describe, but to say that there's it feels like there's there's more room for all of the intricacies to to breathe in the stereo version. Mm-hmm. That makes um, sense. I mean, you you have essentially you have twice as many channels, right? So and I, yeah, and, and yeah. So I, I I choose the stereo version, and I'm saying that's not me. That's the one that I want to talk about. Okay, I, I, think, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great. I had to prove that I could make it alone now, but that's not me. I wanted to show how independent I've grown now, but that's not me. I could try to be big in the eyes of the world. What matters to me is what I could be to just one Just took a look at myself and said, that's not me. 
my number two desert island album bob dylan's blood on the tracks uh we have we've obviously done an episode this was the first real episode we did for this podcast um we shared then that this is my second favorite album of all time this is my favorite dylan album we should share that you and i are going to see dylan together um uh, less than a month after this album, after this episode comes out, we'll be seeing Bob Dylan together in Louisville, Kentucky on November 12th. And uh, so excited for that. But uh, for as much Dylan as I've listened to lately, as strange as this is to say, it's not even close between Blood on the Tracks and another album. The only, the only Dylan album, the only Dylan work that could come anywhere close for me to taking the place of blood on the tracks is the more blood, more tracks, which is essentially the collection of alternate takes from this recording. And you and I have talked about this. I wish that for the sake of this list, if we're talking about a Bob Dylan album, I almost wish I could pick and choose whether or not I want the Blood on the Tracks album version or the More Blood, More Tracks alternate take, because there's a few songs. So um, my favorite Bob Dylan track, You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. I prefer the More Blood, More Tracks take with the, with the band. The take and five. The take there, five. Because I also, I made you, because there's the six CD mm-hmm. deluxe edition of this. And because... I know that you love that song so much. I, I made you my own Blood on the Tracks box set. Mm-hmm. It had Blood on the Tracks, an all-band version of the album, an all-acoustic version of the album, and I gave you a CD that was just every single studio take of You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. Yeah. So take five particularly. So it's the, it's the, it's the full band take five. There is so many great takes of these songs. And so Blood on the Tracks, not only is this my favorite Dylan album, but this period of writing in Dylan's career, nothing else touches it for me. And I'm a huge fan of Bob Dylan. I've seen love go by my door. It's never been this close before. Never been so easy or so slow. I've been shooting in the dark too long. When something's not right, it's wrong. You're gonna make me loads when you go. Dragon clouds so high above, I've only known careless love. It always has hit me from below. But this time round, it's more correct. Right on target, so direct. You're gonna make me loads when you go. Purple clover, queen and lace, crimson hair across your face. You can make me cry if you don't know. Can't remember what I was thinking of. You might be spoiling me too much, love. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. Flowers on the hillside blooming crazy. Crickets talking back and forth in rhyme. Blue River running slow and lazy. I could stay with you forever and never realize the time. Situation yeah, and. We've, I mean, this has been discussed on the podcast already, but my second favorite album of all time is Blood on the Tracks. However, if I were going to choose only one Dylan album, 
for the rest of my life to listen to, I would choose the Royal Albert Hall Concert 1966. I'm using quotes for everyone who's listening because this is the first of the bootleg series release, the Royal Albert Hall show. That was a popular bootleg that was circled around that's actually took place in Manchester. But this is what's known as like the Judas show. Uh, when Dylan comes out with the band uh, for the electric portion of the set and before like a Rolling Stone, someone yells out, Judas. I don't believe you. When he turns around, he says, play it fucking loud. And then they just, he just goes for it. I mean, it's, it is the most perfect rock and roll recording in, in, in the history of music, to me. And for others as well, I'm sure. Um, I, I, th- I think it's absolutely perfect. You get, like, the di- it's, it's, it's a two-disc set, because the first set is all acoustic stuff. It does these great versions of like She Belongs to Me, um, Fourth Time Around from Blonde on Blonde, the best version of Visions of Johanna. Yeah. Um, I would say. And my favorite version of Mr. Tambourine Man. Uh, the really? harmonica solo. I mean, the harmonica solo is just absolutely great. I mean, it's, I love it. Um, and, but yeah, but for, but then the second disc is, is the electric set. And I mean, that's, that's what you come for, Nat in retrospect. I mean, of course, they're there for the acoustic set, but now we're there to to listen to the hecklers who are listening to the greatest, who are witness to the greatest rock show of all time and can't appreciate one bit of it. I mean, it's just amazing. It's this it's the great one of the greatest ironies in recorded music. It's amazing. Um so you get the like a Rolling Stone Judas, and you get all these different versions of my, my favorite versions of these. Um, you know, perfect songs. Um, but if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, you know, say, oh, go, go listen to this one. You know, I'm. I want to tell people listen to to tell me, mama, which is the first song on the electric set, so disc two, right? Um, is that song only exists in that tour? So it's not on any album. It wasn't released as a single. Um, but it's it's really rock and roll, maybe even a little, you know a bit punk rock if you want to go there. And I think I I think side two really side not side two it's really sides three and four um, really kind of play like a proto punk album. Really, I mean there, there's a real attitude there, um, and it's because of what he's getting from this really aggressive crowd in England.
right. Number three, and I'm going to have a caveat here. My number three is the Beatles revolver, the UK Parlophone pressing, the original UK Parlophone pressing. We talked about this on our Beatles episode that there were different songs released on the UK Parlophone versions of the Beatles albums than were released on the American Capitol Records versions of the albums. And for me, the Beatles Revolver, my favorite Beatles album, one of my favorite albums of all time, the Parlophone version, the song selection on the Parlophone version is the superior selection of songs in comparison to the American Capitol Records version. So the Beatles Revolver is my third pick. And how could you go wrong? I mean, you're talking about arguably the greatest rock band of all time. And in my opinion, their best album. And it's an album I love. It's an album my children love. It's an album my parents love. I mean, this is an album. You, I think, Makai, you said it best. The Beatles are for everybody. The Beatles are for everybody. And so Revolver is a Beatles album that has something for everyone. And if you're going off the idea that here, here's the, the albums you can't live without, I don't want to live without the Beatles. The, the really well done movie that came out a little while ago yesterday a movie that posed the question, what would happen if the Beatles had never existed? And I got to tell you, I don't want to live in a world without the Beatles. So if I can only have five albums, uh, if there's five albums I can't live without, the Beatles revolver is one of them. The UK version from 66. I mean, I, I don't know that anyone considers the US version even like really valid. <laughs> I mean, like version of the album because i mean if you go to stream it you're not getting the american version if you're going to go buy one of the reissues you're not going to find the american version from 66 i mean like I mean, that, that is the definitive this is revolver mm-hmm. and rightly so because taking off i'm only sleeping and is is a bonkers choice yeah um but you know whatever i mean america and capital records i mean they really uh milk that cash cow every which way they could yeah i mean this is i i know you this makes sense to me um but what would be your i think i know the answer to this yeah. but uh go ahead and tell us then favorite song and your bird can sing which is which is why i i would it would have to be the parlophone pressing because and your bird can sing is not on the capital records release of this album which again i don't understand like and your bird can sing and I'm only sleeping two of the best songs on one of the greatest albums of all time in Capitol records went, yeah, we don't need those. Yeah. They, they needed, they needed them so they could release yet another album worth of Beatles material um, separate from what was being released in the UK. So, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. Capitol records knew they, they knew where their bread was buttered. And so they were, uh, they were, they were making sure they were making money as fast as they could. Um, but for me, that original UK pressing, you get, you get, I'm only sleeping and you get my favorite song on the album in your bird can sing. Yeah. 
right. Number three, personally, would be London Calling. But that's not the list we're making. Right. So if we're doing what's what is what is your number three for our list for desert island albums? Not what's your all time number three. What's your number three for this list? Well, that's why I'm that's why I'm I'm ramping up to something here. It would be Sandinista. Really? Mm -hmm. Is it is it is it just the idea that you get even more clash in Sandinista? That's definitely part of it. than, Than you get in London Calling. I mean, the 19 songs versus the 36. I mean, that's. That's a lot more clash, a lot more bang for your buck. Um, but do you I mean, get, but do you get better clash on Sandinista than you get on London Calling? We're is, talking is, to- is the sum is the sum of the thirty six greater than the sum of the nineteen? I mean, I don't, I don't view them in that way. I mean, like I because I just view the self titled album, London Calling and Sandinista is just like these are three albums I don't ever want to live with. That I mean, this is just they're. They're they're perfect to me. They're precious to me. Uh, we haven't. I mean, we haven't said this on the podcast, but I'm also currently writing a book on Sandinista uh, for the 33 and a third series. So I have spent a lot of time with this album and these songs, and it's just as exciting every time I listen to it. I mean, like it. It really, you know, it, it's very exciting to me. It's um, I don't want to say too much, but. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a very, it's, it's, this is not an album I thought twice about for this list. I never thought like, should it be London Calling? Should it be the self-titled? Um, I mean, it was always going to be Sandinista in my mind. It's, I mean, it's 36 it's, Clash it's, songs and they're... And essentially it's three right. albums, which one of the things that I really love about your approach right. to this album, and one of the things, I hope I'm not giving too much away, but one of the things I hope you write about in the book that our listeners uh, can expect sometime early in 2023. I think it'll be on shelves in 2024, actually. I think that's. Okay. So you've got, so by the time we are getting to the end of our hundred lists, mm-hmm. by the time we're getting to our fourth season of the podcast, you're going to be able to find Micaiah's 33 and a third volume on Sandinista on bookshelves. But one of the things I hope you write about in the book is one of the ways you help unlock the album for me, which mm-hmm. is to see it as three albums that you, you really have three class records put together into one kind of collection. So more than viewing Sandinista as an album to view Sandinista as a, a mixtape of three albums. It's, it's a, a, a dub album, a, a punk album, a pop album like you 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 have these three very different sides of the influence and in, in the capability of Mick Jones and Joe Strummer together mm-hmm. and you see that all played out over 36 tracks so Sandinista you get a whole lot of the clash I understand it you're a huge clash fan I, I would never fault you for picking Sandinista I think if it was me personally, I'd want London calling over Sandinista, but I understand your approach to it. Yeah. I mean, you get, you get hip hop, you get reggae, you get Calypso music. I mean, there's, you get dub music. I mean, you get children singing career opportunities. I mean, like there's 
so much to love. Mm-hmm. I mean, by design, you know, Mick talked about it. You know, there's like, why is this so long? It's like, well, we want an album that would last a year. Mm-hmm. It's built and, to last a long time. It's built to spend a long time with. And, and you get my favorite Clash cover, Police on My Back. Uh-huh. Which, by the way, my is my two-year-old daughter's favorite Clash song. And the way that she asked for it is... Daddy, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Daddy, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's how she asks to listen to Police on My Back. And this is great for me because I've told people that, you know, in the process of doing this podcast, if I can just turn Rob on to Sandinista, then I will have done a good thing here. Mm-hmm. So. so we're so so mission accomplished there. So given these 36 tracks, this is a tough question to ask. If you had to pick just one, what's it going to be? This is easy for me, actually. Because I think it's the most, I mean, at this point in their career, like the kind of the quintessential Clash song, I think is Washington Bullets. I mean, I I think a lot of people look at it as like, oh, this is Joe's, Joe Strummer's, you know, kind of like a quintessential Joe Strummer track. uh, Because it is just him kind of just giving a rundown of of what's kind of been happening last couple of decades, really like around the world, talking about Victor Hara and Alinde and all these kind of and things in Jamaica and things that America is largely responsible for and Britain as well. Um, all these kind of, you know, world tragedies. Um, but it's all in the guise of this like really catchy, you know, new wave song. Uh, I mean, if that's, if that's how you can describe it. I mean, it's just, it's just a clash song. You know I mean? It's, it's hard to say what genre it belongs in. This is just a, just a class song from Sandinista, but it's also the closest thing you have to a title track um, because you you hear the words, you know, Sandinista sung in the chorus. So I think it's a, a really good touchstone for people trying to get into the album is to kind of start there and listen to that. But, you know, Mick is really the genius of of the music. I mean, you know, Joe, of course, is, is primarily the lyricist, but, but Mick is the one who kind of controlled the music and the arrangements and knowing that, I mean, this is a great track to show how brilliant he, and he still laughs about it now saying, you know, it's the punk rock song with the most marimba in it. Oh, mama, mama, look there. You should not playing in the street again. Don't you know what happened down there? A youth of 14 got shot down there. The cocaine guns jammed downtown. The killing clowns of blood money men. Washington bullets again As every cell in Chile will tell The cries of the tortured men Remember Alende in the days before Before the army came Please remember Victor Hara In the Santiago Stadium Verdad Those Washington bullets again Alright, my number four so you and I over the last two weeks have been talking about recording this episode and we've kind of shared different iterations of our lists. My number four has changed a lot. And, and I have really avoided to this point, a compilation, a greatest hits collection. And I was very, very close to going with James Brown's 20 all time greatest hits, the 1991 uh, greatest hits album. It's like a condensed version of Star Time. 
Yeah, it, it really, that's what it is. It, it is, it is kind of the, the, it is for all intents and purposes, it is the single disc version of, of star time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came very close in, in for most of my early iterations of this list, that was what I had here. But I began thinking about, right, what, what is the music that I can't live without? And, and so when you start thinking about it, you start thinking about things that are deeply personal. And so for me, number four, I'm going with Motown One's collection. So the Motown number one's collection, this is 18 tracks, songs across the history of Motown records that have been number one hit singles. So you get the collection that includes opening up with the very first Motown number one, Please Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. Heat Wave by Martha in the Vandellas, My Guy by Mary Wells, My Girl by the Temptations, Where Did Our Love Go by the Supremes, Stop in the Name of Love by the Supremes, I Can't Help Myself from the Four Tops, Stevie Wonder's Uptight, Everything is Alright, The Temptations Ain't Too Proud to Beg, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, I Heard It Through the Grapevine by Marvin Gaye, I Want You Back by Jackson 5, Tears of a Clown by The Miracles, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, Love Machine. And then you get songs like Three Times a Lady, Endless Love, and Boys to Men's I'll Make Love to You, and Michael McDonald singing Ain't No Mountain High Enough. The, <laughs> the music that I was raised on, the, the music that played on the record player in the house that I grew up on, um, the Motown ones is essentially all of those songs. It's all of those records. It's all those 45s. Um, my mom was a huge Motown fan. Uh, my mom's cousin, Tom, uh, who growing up in South Florida, he was the only one in our family who had a swimming pool. So we spent a lot of time over at his house during the summer. And uh, he had a jukebox that was on his porch that had a, or on his, like his enclosed porch that had 45s and it was mostly Motown 45s. So these are the songs um, that in many ways defined my childhood. And these are songs that I still love today. And so for me, if I can't live without an album, uh, it would be this collection of greatest, greatest hits of Motown. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I grew up on all that stuff too. I mean, I had older parents, you know, my dad was born in 49. So that's all the stuff that was big when he was, you know, growing up or coming of age. So that's, I mean, I mean, his favorite act of all time was probably maybe, maybe in the Temptations. So I listened to a lot of Temptations growing up. Um, He loved them and the Bee Gees and Jimmy Buffett and like, Keith Whitley or somebody, you know, I mean, he was, uh, that was his taste. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get Stevie, Marvin, Temptations, you know, Diana Ross. I mean, little Michael, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of, I mean, this, that's, well, that, I mean, now that makes my next question for you really tricky then, which is if you can only choose one song, then what's it going to be? you can't go wrong with little Michael. I'm going with the Jackson fives. I want you back. Yeah. It's, it's the best. I mean, it, what, I mean, such, such a great song. I don't care who you are. Um, I, I, in, in, I, I don't want to be insensitive about this, 
you, you can have to be. You can think Michael Jackson is a monster and still love this song. Like, I'm sure I am. This, this song, I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, I mean, it's just pop perfection. It's, it's much easier to listen to Little Michael, I think, than anything closer to like the allegations. Yeah. You know, the closer so, you get to the allegations, the harder it is to go back and listen to it. Yeah. So I feel like Dangerous is kind of a hard spot mm-hmm. for people to go back to. Whereas bad, it's much easier. Thriller, off the wall, they're like, A-okay. And then you get to Little Michael, it's just like, there are no problems. This is a guilt-free, mm-hmm. nothing but joy for me kind of a listening experience. Yeah, and I and I think you also, you also get... Young Michael is the best picture of, of Michael's relationship to Motown. Because it's one of the things I think we forget about as you think about off the wall, as you think... I mean... Really, as you think about the three albums that Michael did with Quincy, yeah, it's it's easy to forget that those were not his first three solo albums. Yeah, that Michael did solo albums with Motown, and they were not good. They were not good albums. I mean, there, well, I mean they a, were really a, there just to push like the couple of singles that were on those albums. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you get a few, you get a few good songs, you get a few singles, but none of them were, were huge singles. None of them were number one singles for, for Motown or for Michael in, in the quality of the album start, you know, start to finish is not what you see on the three albums he does with Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking for like really, really high quality Motown relationship with Michael Jackson, it's with the Jackson five. So, ABC, I'll be there. I want you back. I mean, these Love are you save. Yeah, come on. These are great songs. So, for me, Motown number ones, I'm taking I Want You Back by the Jackson Five. So what's your number four? Four. I mean, this is okay. So like there are three artists who I can't live without for sure. Right. And I think that would be Dylan, the clash and Wilco. Now, similar to uh, saying before, typically in this spot on my personal favorite list would be Yankee hotel Foxtrot, which you've done an episode about already. And yet uh, sort of ironically here, you know, our, our episode was Yankee Hotel Foxtrot versus Kicking Television, and I'm actually going with Kicking Television for my Desert Island pick. Now, I think Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the better album. Agreed. Um, but if I'm, if I can only have one Wilco album, 
for the rest of my life, I'm going to save kicking television because I get most of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot on there, but I also get most of a ghost is born, mm-hmm. uh, which are just songs. And I get Nels playing the guitar parts for a ghost is born, uh, which is a big deal for all you, for all the Wilco fans out there. But I also get great versions of like V Chicago mm-hmm. off the of summer teeth. You get a couple of tracks from, uh, the mermaid avenue albums yeah you know so and i mean i'll i'll jump right into my pick for this one um my my song pick since we've already done an episode on kicking television it would be uh the, the one track on there from being there that they revisit for this album misunderstood which opens the album uh to me that's the it's the quintessential wilco track that's right uh, it's it, them doing a being there song with the new lineup coming off of, you know, Jeff out of rehab. It is this, this is, this this rebirth of Wilco. Um, it's, it's a, it's an old classic, but with a new lineup and it's, and it's the best they've ever been and they still play it and it's still a crowd pleaser. So misunderstood live out kicking tell his vision for me. Uh, one reason I'm saving the album is because that song alone is my favorite single track in Wilco's discography. Back in your old neighborhood The cigarettes taste so good But you're so misunderstood You're so misunderstood There's something there that you can't find Look honest when you're telling a lie You heard it but you don't know why You love her but you don't know why You show no long-term goals It's a party there that we ought to go to If you still love rock and Rock and roll It's only a quarter to three Reflecting off the OCD You're looking at a picture of me You're staring at a picture of me Take the guitar, play a full ride See, I've never been satisfied He thinks he owes you some kind of debt It'll be years before he gets over it So, Rob. Yeah. Number five. This is your last pick. I mean, yeah, and and, and so ugh, I, I like I shared with my number four pick. My number four, my number four slot became the one that like there was 
constantly albums kind of coming in and coming out in like different iterations. But it was definitely a certain vibe that like you knew you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I mean, so there were some that had Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life. There were some that had the James Brown 20 all time greatest hits, the Motown one, like there, there was very much a particular, um, a music from a particular time frame in a particular genre that I wanted, that I wanted there. And I feel like I accomplished that with the Motown ones. Yeah. For my number five album, uh, there was never, there was no iteration of this list that did not include this album. Mm-hmm. Death Cab for Cuties, Transatlanticism. Okay. Uh, I mean, look, we, we <laughs> talked longer about that single album than in the, I mean, come on, you and I have, over this podcast, the amount of conversation we have kept on the cutting room floor um, for many of these episodes, for many of these episodes that have gone on upwards of an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. we've left at least that much on the cutting room floor. Yeah. For our transatlanticism episode, the raw, the raw recording of our transatlanticism episode, our conversation with our friend, Troy Aragon Buchanan was easily four and a half hours long. And I don't know that there was any part in that conversation for as long as we were talking about this album, that there was any question between any of us that this is among the greatest albums. Yeah, It is, it is, it is a flawless album in my mind, every decision that is made down to the most minute detail there, there is just not, there is, there is not a bad decision made on this album. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, of your picks, this fifth one is like, well, that seems kind of dangerous. Um, this is a, in what way? This is not necessarily a comforting album for a lonely man who has nothing but five albums to listen to and just an island or a world to himself. Uh, songs like Transatlanticism can get very... It, it, would that be... Do you think in, in this scenario that we've drawn out for ourselves, is that cathartic for you? Or is that something that you're like, hey man, so at some point I'm going to need a good cry and I know exactly where to get it. Or, yeah. you know... I. I mean, this is one that when I made like my top 25 to get it down to five, made it on there. And one reason I didn't want to include it and a few others like it is because I thought, I think it the nostalgia would be good at some times, but it would actually be the nostalgia that would kind of break me down. Mm. Like I would think about who I used to listen to it with, who the album used to make me think of. The last time I listened to it with like my fiance or, you know what I mean? Like that, that might actually be too much. Not, not the content of the music, but all the people who I've associated with the album over the years, it might actually be too much if I were isolated and I only had that album. I I don't know how often I would actually go to that fifth album, but all that being said, um, all all that being said, I'm, I'm going to, crack up laughing if your number five is blue by Joni Mitchell then like if, if uh, you, you can't you can't you can't knock transatlanticism to be like man that's too heavy no, that's not a knock it wasn't a knock um I mean I was just curious 
you know, I mean, because I mean, the big song is, you know, I need you so much closer. It's so it'd be so relevant to that scenario. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of constantly trying to soundtrack your own life is, is something that's never left me. So I, I, so I the get relevant, that. But the relevance is part of it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Is transatlanticism your song pick or is there, cause that would be, I mean, kind of be the most relevant on the nose one, but then so that, that I, I feel like I know you better to, than for you to, to choose that one as your, as your song pick. So what is your transatlanticism one song I think a lack of color. I would do the same thing. I would do the same thing, yeah. And when I see you, I really see you upside down. But my brain knows better. It picks you up and turns you around. Turns you around, turns you around If you feel discouraged When there is a lack of color here Please don't worry, lover It's really bursting at the seams From absorbing everything The spectrum's A to Z Alright, so that's my number five pick. Let's hear your number five pick, Micaiah. No joke. Blue by Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Called it. Yeah, this is not a joke. This is not a, a surprise. Um, and I mean, I, I almost didn't want to do it because it also is, I think, number five in my personal all-time favorites. So my number one and my number five are actually my number one of five personal favorite albums. Um, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like fetishistic or weird about this, but I think that I would want to hear a woman's voice if I was alone. Um, I think I'd find it very comforting. Um, I mean, there are a couple of picks. I mean, I also thought about like, for that reason, like, well, maybe hounds of love then by Kate Bush. Um, that that's another one that I could have done, but I I, I like I like Blue much more than I do um, Hounds of Love, um, which is not far away um, in terms of like my top like twenty five or fifteen albums. You know, Hounds of Love is not that far away from Blue, but um, but Blue is just yeah. I, and I thought about switching up like, well, would I would I want Hissing of Summer Lawns? Would I would I want the Miles of Isles live album? And I just kept coming back to Blue. I just kept coming back to that one. Um, yeah, and we're going to cover this one soon, and we've talked to it about even on the 1971 episode. But, uh, yeah, that's the one I think I would really want to have. Um, I think it's, a, I've said it over and over again, it's a perfect album. Um, and I, th- I think Joni's voice would be exactly what I need um, if I were alone 
I needed some sense of, of comfort. Um, I mean, you, you have the song blue, you have the song, but even then, I mean, you just get these perfect melodies. I mean, like the piano part in blue, like if you, even if you're not listening to the words to, to kind of get you set, like if you're just listening to like the way she's playing the piano is really interesting and so fun. The way that she's, it's really unique and she doesn't play piano like, like any other person, like any of her contemporaries, but like mixing in like the, like jingle bells on mm-hmm. the piano and with what on she river. Wants. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just really great. Um, but it, songs like California, you know, they're just perfect. Um, She's, and I will say this, Joni, Joni Mitchell to me is a far more interesting piano player than she is a guitar player. I'll take that. Um, I think, I mean, I think she's a great guitar player. I mean, she she's really great at playing around with different tunings and getting different, really interesting sounds. And I think she's a much more playful guitar player than people give her credit for. Um, but, but I mean, also, I mean, her work on like the Appalachian dulcimer on Blue, I think, is mm-hmm. unmatched, unparalleled. I don't know how many more people <laughs> turn to that. Um, as a, as a go-to instrument for their albums, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to love on there. Of course there's the sad stuff, but like songs like Carrie, the flight tonight. I mean, these are not like downer songs. I mean, these are just great, beautiful, catchy songs that are sung and performed beautifully by one of the all time great singer songwriters, you know, so. So if you had to just pick one, what would be the one track from Blue? Sure, I would go with All I Want. Again, you know I love an opening track. Um, so All I Want. I think it's the the maybe my favorite romantic song of all time. I am on a lonely road and I am traveling, 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 looking for something. What can it be? Oh, I hate you some. I hate you some, I love you some Oh, I love you when I forget about me I wanna be strong, I wanna laugh alone I wanna belong to the living Alive, alive, I wanna get up and drive Wanna wreck my stockings in some jukebox What was the hardest album to leave off of this list? You go first, because I just went for blue. So, and, and I don't know what you're gonna. I think you know what I'm gonna pick, but I don't. I don't know that I know what you're gonna pick. So I want to hear you go first. So, 
the the hardest album to live without if if this is my five and i'm on the deserted island mm-hmm. the album that i will have most missed not having on is going to be something to write home about by the get up kids i should have known and it's it 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 almost feels embarrassing at this point how much <laughs> I love this album because, because here, here's the truth. Like I can look at it objectively. Like it's a really well done emo album. Like it, it, it's, it's a really well done, you know, pop punk album. It's a really well done alternative rock album. It was an album that I discovered at the exact right time at the exact right place in my life. And it is an album that instantly, no matter when I put it on, instantly takes me back to all those experiences, all those moments. And so, you know, you were talking about albums that would be hard to have with you because of the nostalgia element to them. Uh-huh. Something to write home about the nostalgia that is just dripping off that album for me uh-huh. would be hard to live without. That being said, there's not anything I I know every beat of that album by heart at this point mm-hmm. and so there's I could go 20 years without hearing that album and still know every single note of that album right and, and so that was that was why ultimately I left it off and if I had to pick a single song from uh, something right home about it would it would be uh, it'd be I'm Alone or Dottie a Rebel. about you what was your hardest album to leave off your desert island albums now and i was thinking about what i would need Mm -hmm. personally about my about my needs about my about morale and you know these kinds of things and you know i think what i'm missing is something that would like ascend me to the realm of like the spiritual or something um so my hardest to leave off was Astro Weeks. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I expected you to say. Uh, because that album really just lifts me up and takes me to like another place. It's, it's not it's not my happy place. It's not like a like a tearful kind of catharsis place. I mean, it's just a different place, you know. Um, that really only that it's it, it is a feeling and experience I only have when listening to that album. So um, I think I would. I think that'd be the the one I would miss the most, and the one looking at my five albums, I'd be like, Ugh. 
uh, I should have grabbed Astral Weeks. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's the one I should have saved from a fire or whatever. You know, like, that's, I think I would always regret not not having, like, made room for that one, that one more, you know. So, but that's the rules. You know, we we did top five, and that one just squeaked out, and I think that would that would be the one that I would miss the most and that would bug me the most. Mm-hmm. So if you had to pick one song off Astral Weeks, Mm -hmm. off the album that it's the hardest to leave off, what would it be? It'd be that title track, then another opening track. You know I love an opening track. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack and the dead center back road stop Could you find me? Or would you kiss my eyes? Laying you down the Silence is the To be born again To be born again well, listener, if nothing else, you've gotten to know a little bit more about Makai and I. Uh, I'm sure none of this has been a surprise to you if you've been listening to the podcast. Uh, if 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 you are not familiar with the albums that we've mentioned, at least you've got to hear uh, our favorite songs from these albums. And we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to know what your five Desert Island albums are. And so we want you to reach out to us on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod, on Instagram at You Forgot One. We are at You Forgot One on Facebook. So if your grandmother is listening to it, she can send us her Desert Island albums. Um, and then, of course, you can reach out to us on our website, youforgotone.com. But we want to hear your Desert Island albums. And see if you agree with any of ours. Uh, That being said, we are so excited to be back in two weeks to talk about an album we may have got wrong in our first season. As we talked about Radiohead, we both put OK Computer by Radiohead on our list. But in that episode, we debated, is Kid A... The better pick is kid a the better pick well just this week pitchfork released their reader poll results the most important 200 albums of the last 25 years in pitchfork readers are who they are three of the top four albums were radiohead albums so you had kid a at number one followed by okay computer followed by Kanye West's Dark, Twisted, Overrated Fantasy, followed by Radioheads in Rainbows. And so even among Pitchfork readers, Kid A and OK Computer, number one and two, we want to figure out, did we get this right? Yeah, so we have invited our guest from OK Computer, Brad Efford. Yeah, so Brad Efford's going to be back with us, and we're going to talk all about Kid A and uh, ultimately try to come to the conclusion at the end of the episode did we get Radiohead right? So we want to invite you to join us back here in two weeks for our next bonus episode on Radiohead's Kid A. But we thank you for listening. Micaiah, if we're going to send our listeners out with one 
song with one desert island song that was not in either one of our six albums that we mentioned what should it be this is a pull but i'm i'm i'm, I'm sticking to it here benny king famously uh, sang spanish harlem written by phil specter but one recording i would take with me if i were if we're just doing like recordings i would want phil specter's demo for Spanish Harlem. It's just Phil Spector and the guitar. It's just him singing. It, it's, 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 there's, there's a pretty wild quality given all that we know about him now, but Phil Spector himself singing Spanish Harlem in a demo. That, that would be a pick that I would choose. All right. Well, listener, we'll see you in two weeks. For now, enjoy the original demo. Phil Spector. His voice, his guitar, Spanish Harlem. There is a rose in Spanish Harlem A red rose up in Spanish Harlem It is a special one It's never seen the sun It only comes out when the moon is on the run And all the stars are gleaming It's growing in the street Right up through the concrete But soft and sweet and dreaming There is a rose in Spanish Harlem A red rose up in Spanish Harlem